senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Look, I told you, I'll put pants on when we have a guest. Otherwise, don't fuck with my fly. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Just keep your hands above the table, chuckles. <laughs> uh, this is episode 63. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it been a, a very interesting and geek-heavy week for us. We got our, and it was kind of weird because I wasn't really expecting it. We got our actual laminates, the actual physical passes for C2E2. Yes, that which, was really awesome. Yeah, well, I was totally not expecting it because this is the first time we've attended that particular convention and we've done San Diego a bunch of times and Boston a few times. And with each one of those, you get an email with a barcode and you have to show up at a place at a particular time. And, and you stand in line stand like in, it's bread in communist Russia. Yeah, exactly. Like there's toilet paper at the end of it or freedom <laughs> or... Or free hand job or something, and then at the end of it, what yeah, lines have you been standing in? Uh, I clearly find better <laughs> lines than you do, but and then yeah, on site they take your barcode away, and you get well. In the case of San Diego, a laminate. In the case of Boston Comic Con, you get the type of wristband you use to, to sh- get beer. Yeah, to show that you're legally allowed to get alcohol <laughs> at like a, a big bar party. But the only thing it's missing is a UV hand stamp. <laughs> Give them time. They're yeah. getting bigger. Yeah. They might be able to afford the hand stamp next time. So Non-compliant? <laughs> I don't think I'll get that one. Yeah, I'll, I don't think so. I'll comply with any order that gets me into a comic book convention. If you show up with no pants, am I... <laughs> well, th- there will be guests there, so... But... So, yeah, in an envelope, and there's just you know two things, and it's... In its own way, it's refreshing. Cool, I have the actual thing... On the other hand, it's a little disconcerting because there's no names or anything on it. It's true. It could be anybody's. Now, that's one thing that always bothered me about San Diego is you walk around with your name and your hometown and a big barcode that (laughs) people can whack with a UPC reader. Welcome to the New World Order. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like you're you're in Riddick prison and they want to keep track of you. One of those blinking lights like in Logan's Run on your hand. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. I, I, I'm going to start handing those out. Next time we actually get to go to San Diego, I'll make them and I'll have them all time to go at the same time and just watch all the geeks rush to Carousel. <laughs> It'll make Hall H look like an orderly fucking prof- procession. All right. Step one, get back to San Diego. Step two, question mark. Yeah, step three, profit. Step three, <laughs> obtain several hundreds of thousands of dollars for Carousel life clocks. <laughs> And half of them, half the kids there are under 18 anyway. It's like, what's this? It's a, they'll put them on their foreheads. All right, we're going to need a makerspace. <laughs> oh, no, I, no. I... <laughs> Get in the car. <laughs> I, I'm too pretty to go to a makerspace. <laughs> but yeah, there's no identifying information on it. And we got, ours have Carl from The Walking Dead. It's true, because we can't stay in the house. Yeah, so, and... It's fine, Charlie Adlard art of Carl with yeah. his, you know, gaping lick hole <laughs> based on issue, what was it, 138? Something like that. And uh, Tried to block it out. 
But yeah, it's just, you know, oh man, Carl. And, and there's the other added thing, you know, the good thing about the barcodes is we're always pretty good about it. But if everything fails and you get to your destination, you say, oh shit, I forgot the barcode. You just log into your email at your local Kinko's and you print it. Right. It's kind of hard to print a laminate. So yeah, they're, they're still sitting in the envelope downstairs on the kitchen table. And I'm trying to figure out when to pack them, where to pack them, if they need to go someplace else so I won't forget them. Because I'm I'm well known for horrible drunken mistakes. I think we should. I, I think we should uh, staple them to our shirts. I need to staple them to my neck because <laughs> I had a lot of laundry to do to do between now and when are we leaving? Uh, uh, a week from Tuesday. I think so. Yeah. So <laughs> I've lost track. Yeah, me too. This has just been a weird week. Part of it is we have just given ourselves a savage fucking beating since Friday night. Yeah. It uh, it has been... <laughs> much, <laughs> much Chardonnay was sacrificed for the cause. Chardonnay and pale ale and brain cells and hours of sleep. My liver. My liver. <laughs> and I think I've slept in an actual bed for about three hours since Friday morning. Oh, look at Mr. Fancy Pants over there, sleeping in a bed. Well, <laughs> I've slept on every couch and half the chairs in the home office here because... Marvel's Daredevil debuted on Netflix, I, I believe it was Thursday night into Friday morning at midnight. Something like that, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, believe it or not, this show <laughs> doesn't pay the bills, <laughs> doesn't pay for itself. It's, yeah. really, it's really a horrible suck on our resources. <laughs> but we love you all. Thank you for listening. Oh, indeed. But So yes, we, we had to go to work all of Friday. Which meant, if we were going to talk about it this week, we had to get through 13 hours of television Yep. Uh, between Friday night and basically this morning. Yep. You know, plus somehow feed ourselves and get the cat to the vet to get his claws trimmed and calm the cat down for several hours after returning from the vet getting his claws trimmed. He had payback for us today. Oh, it was magnificent payback. <laughs> magnificent payback you, that you may actually be able to, to hear in a... Post-credit sequence. <laughs> the first real post-credit sequence on the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. Yeah. Do we have credits? No. <laughs> Produced by Rob and Amanda. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Pretty much. That's basically it. Pretty much. But yeah, so he, he got his revenge for that. But yeah, it meant that we were up, what, until midnight on Friday and last night, which, if you're a younger person, <laughs> doesn't sound all that difficult to no. make. If you're a younger person, you probably also didn't start drinking at straight up 5 p.m. each of those nights. They might have. <laughs> oh, that's true. Jesus, I used to day drink all day and, and make it overnight. What the fuck happened to me? Uh, don't know. <laughs> the goddamn years just keep happening, no matter how much I try to drink them away. I Son know. of a bitch! But... The man who sold the world turned 44 this week. Who is he? I don't know, but David Bowie sang about him, and apparently that song is as old as me. And you. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Mostly you. Yeah, you're, you're younger than that song, and so am I. <laughs> me by slightly less, but I am younger than that. So, so yeah, it's a, the first thing we did you know, when we got home from work is open up some drinks and start watching it. And yeah, we burned through it in, in a couple of three days, and we tried... It seemed like a really good idea while we were doing it, <laughs> which is something that should appear on my tombstone. 
He hashtag that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit long for a hashtag, but it it, it shouldn't be because yeah. really, um, the, we mentioned last week we we got a, a new portable audio recorder. Yes. Basically, so that we could record decent audio from panels at C two E two. Yes. And we've not had a huge opportunity to use its its ambient recording. We used it last week as sort of a mobile studio when we went to our central Massachusetts satellite bunker to, to, yes, to do the show with trebuchet and pixie sticks. But we did that with, you know, full plugged in microphones and everything. So, but getting ambient sound, we never did. So I had the ridiculously stupid, but seemed good at the time idea. This thing will record like 45 hours worth of audio. Let's just set the thing up on the coffee table <laughs> and we'll record everything while we watch daredevil. Because, well, you know, we we have such excellent bon mots and quips as we get progressively more shit-faced. Uh, yeah. As, as, my, as you have, may have noticed listening to this show. Yeah. <laughs> as, my, as my lizard brain begins to take over, <laughs> God knows I become funnier. But that was the thought. It was, you know, oh, we're funny. We could do some MST3K stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, literally, <laughs> I recorded 13 hours of audio. And made little marks on it when I thought there was something that we said that was funny or, or actually uh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, wound up with exactly, uh, I don't know, three minutes worth of shit <laughs> that, was, that. that was worth listening to. <laughs> yeah, in Including magical things like... Hey, you're pretty cool, Daredevil, but Heisenberg would fuck your horse. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just over and over again. And most of them weren't even that good. It was... Yeah. And well, I don't want to spoil what we're going to have for the post credit sequence, but. <laughs> All right. We, we did get that. And if you've got a particular sense of humor, there's a lot of humor in that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> We're thinking we're going to have these great observations and just hugely funny stuff, and it's... That's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> the show needs Jesse Pinkman. Just poke his head in, but just from the side of the screen, <laughs> bitch. Now, you notice in listening to that, I sound even drunker than I normally do on this show. Well, I think the funny part is, like, just those two back-to-back -back makes it seem like the entire time we're watching Daredevil, all we really wanted to do was revisit Breaking Bad. Yeah, which <laughs> we which, haven't even caught up on on Better Call Saul. <laughs> well, to to be fair, I have been uh in the mornings after you head off to your job, uh, an episode at a time, catching up on Breaking Bad. But certainly, that's not all we talked about. We we talked about relevant things like this kind of thing leads me to wonder: in a fight between Daredevil and Batman, who would win? Oh, please, people have been wondering that for years. All depends on who's writing it and Batman. <laughs> Ah, oh, look at me trying to be articulate. Well, <clears throat> that was about a bottle of Chardonnay in. Yeah. <laughs> so th there was some actual pertinent conversation. There was pertinent combination conversation through all of it. Very little of it was coherent. I had half a case of Chardonnay. Well, that's excellent work. That's a lot of Chardonnay. Yeah, I know. I think you're buying the beer for me next weekend, for <laughs> Christ's sake. You're away in the hole for me. Okay. <laughs> but, so... So yeah, that, that's all. That's almost the entirety of the audio we have. There's a couple other things as, as we actually get into talking about it. But uh, let, let's start off right out of the gate. If you have not 
watched Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix. We're we will going, be spoiling the fuck out of we'll us. We'll be spoiling the living shit out of it. <laughs> so if you've got Netflix, you know, just press stop on this. Stick it on your phone. You know, go catch up on it and, and come back and come back to it. Unless you utterly don't give a shit, in which case, I will tear it down for you. It's a public <laughs> service. That's what we do. Yes. <laughs> we're ruiners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're we're certainly on Sundays not here doing the show because we're not legally allowed due to court order to go to a bar or operate a motor vehicle. Or... <laughs> Have I said too much? Probably. All right. So let's move on to the actual show. Let's do this. So, all right. Overall, you know, what's... Give me a breakdown of it. What was your opinion? You know, let's... Well... As as someone who has been enjoying the Marvel Cinematic Universe and has been enjoying the ABC television shows that are related to that, my initial reaction watching this is this is a rather darker, more brutal, um, gutsy <laughs> take on a a Marvel superhero. Now, granted, it's a street-level superhero. It's not someone who's got, you know, flashy powers. And my one quibble is we really didn't... And I I don't know if it's a quibble. They, We know that once um, Matt Murdock loses his sight, he gains heightened senses that assist him in other ways. Other than the actions he carries out, you don't really see a visual portrayal of of how those senses work necessarily. Yeah, it, that is something I noticed, and it was something in the movie. And in the interest of full disclosure, I really I wish we could have started watching this on Friday morning. Yeah, because I really had the urge afterwards to revisit the movie, which I've always had a soft spot for, particularly the director's cut. Yeah, and I think it's better than it gets credit for. I I agree. Now that's that's me stopping short of saying it's really good. It's better than it gets credit for. Yes. But I did want to go back and revisit it, having just watched you know, this entire 13 episode of a com- not completely different take, but you know, a different take on it. And But that's something they did in the movie, which was a, a big visual to show how it all worked. Whereas in this, it was more, you could sort of see him cock his head and the audio would show what he would, would not show, <laughs> the audio would match what he was trying to listen to right right or if he was trying to focus on something the camera would sort of go out of focus for everything except the thing he was yeah off in the distance yeah looking at or following or whatever but yeah like that being said i yeah gutsy i they they were willing to take a lot of chances and the majority of those chances worked they had 13 hours to tell a story that was very character driven without too much exposition intrusion so overall i i think that it's even if the daredevil movie for better or for worse what was um better <laughs> yeah and, you know the only thing it might have been better at well all right that's that's uh, not I mean, totally fair but but where i'm going with it there is no way when you when you have a story like this where they were allowed to take these chances and really organically allow these characters to develop and drive the story. There's no way that you can put that a two hour or a 90 minute movie against that. It doesn't win. It can't win. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. One of the things that really worked about it, up to a point, it's not even up to a point, there were certain things I thought with 13 episodes were kind of stretched out. There were conversations that seemed to go longer than they really had to. Um, wait, wait, something that, that Bendis was involved in had conversations that went on too long? Yeah, <laughs> all right. I'm you, shocked. All right, you raise a valid point <laughs> there, but um, I think there was a, a little bit of bloat in it. Yeah. If only be, I don't think it had to be 13 episodes. I think 10 probably would have been fine. Okay. We wouldn't have lost a hell of a lot. No. But yeah, the character development that you get when you can spread out and don't have to hammer in Daredevil's origin story in 15 minutes somewhere toward the front. Right. Better if you can do it in 10 so you can get to the ass kicking. Uh, certainly was better. You know, the extended sequences that we got of young Matt and his father up to the accident, after the accident, until uh, Jack was killed. Yep. You know, showed a lot about him. Extended sequences with Stick. You know, helped with the characterization. I mean, the one who benefited, I think, the most from the extended storytelling was Kingpin. Yeah, honestly. Because that's a character that really had a solid arc. You know, we at, early on in the episodes when we were first introduced to Kingpin... You know, played by Vincent D'Onofrio in the show. You in particular, but I kind of agreed with you that the depiction by Michael Clark Duncan in the movie, we thought, uh, you know, there there were certain things that maybe were a little better about it. It, it. Given the difficulties that the Daredevil movie had, Michael Clark Duncan was an unexpected delight in that movie. Yeah. Who, who really helped a lot with... A lot of like problematic shit with the story it, just in terms of yep you don't need to do much other than be there i believe you are kingpin you are you are brutal but you want to be erudite but you can do your own dirty work if you need to you you would be a hard person to defeat i believe you yeah he was fine as a villain whereas d'onofrio and i hope i'm not stepping on the note that you want to make no go ahead. um d'onofrio presents a character who is the villain but doesn't see himself as the villain until he lives long enough by the end to realize he is the villain <laughs> yeah I mean, basically he embraces it by the end but it has a hell of a lot more of a wallop when it starts he starts as a dude who came up hard who's doing what he thinks is best yeah and that includes violence well there's there's three characters that you want to focus on they, they make it very clear this is these are all guys that are coming out of hell's kitchen which i've only ever walked through after leaving like port authority <laughs> oh, i got hammered there once it wasn't was awesome <laughs> wasn't a place i've ever spent a great deal of time in um you've got kingpin who is somewhat older than matt and foggy but he came up hard out of out of hell's kitchen brutal dad um, mom who loves him and just wants what's best for him. You've got Matt who has this tragic accident happen to him, but wants to, to live up to what his father who passed away wanted for him, which was to not have to fight, to use his head, to help Hell's Kitchen by using his head, not his fists. And then you've got Foggy who also is coming up out of Hell's Kitchen and he's like the first kid in his family to go to college his mom wanted him to be a butcher. <laughs> oh, and God knows we hear about that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, but he's 
he's breaking the 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 cycle of of lack of education he's given the opportunity to maybe do something that the rest of his family couldn't do so there's wanting to carry it forward for the family so everybody everybody wants something better for themselves and their family and what they had they all are just going about it so very differently <laughs> yeah no it's there's definitely parallels between the three of them yeah um i think I think Fisk <laughs> I think Fisk by nature had to have a more satisfying character arc in this because he had to start nearly parallel to Matt. Yeah. Because the description I gave before, guy who came up hard in Hell's Kitchen who wants to make it a better place and that may include violence, that could describe particularly early on either Matt Murdock or Wilson Fisk. Yes. Spending when he started in episode three, right? I think so. Uh, yeah, we heard about him, but we first saw him in episode three. Seeing him go from a man behind the scenes trying to improve things, granted by trying to improve things by, you know, hooking up with the Japanese mafia <laughs> and Chinese opium tong, but to go and fall in love with Vanessa which becomes an Achilles heel for him yep. as people near him start to question him and betray him and drop away and he can't seem to find a way out of it and eventually embrace the villainy. I think that's a much more complete character arc, which you can only get when you've got hours and hours and hours yeah. to lay it out. It, it's like if, if Shakespeare had had the time and or given a shit about telling the backstory of Iago and Othello. Because they're... I'll, I'll give you his backstory. That guy was a jackass! <laughs> Done. <laughs> and that's pretty much how Shakespeare felt about it. <laughs> but, you know, where, where I'm going with this is, you know, that that character is considered widely one of, of the greatest villains in, in Shakespeare, but all we know about him is he's a dick, basically, and that he thinks that maybe Othello might have gotten with his wife. <laughs> I don't think I ever read Othello. So... <laughs> I've gone on record before saying I think Shakespeare was the Stephen King of his day and a hack. And <laughs> life is too short for me to try to work through that shit and translate Middle English or whatever it is to modern English. It's it's not Middle English. <laughs> whatever. You're... Go, just there's, keep talking. There's no pictures. I'm done. <laughs> Christ's sake, I talk about comics for two hours a week. I have no time to try and puzzle out Shakespeare. I'm a dope. That, that also doesn't help. That's okay. But... But yeah, with, with the kind of real estate they had to tell his story, it becomes really satisfying. Yes. Now, what do you feel about, say, all right, let, let's go to Matt Murdock's character arc. I think they did a nice job between the flashbacks and his interactions with other characters of keeping his origin story just brief enough on the off chance you were unaware of it going into this movie or series. Um but then from there, focusing on, he has the same issues. He's got people who want to be in his life, but in order to live this double life, there has to be a necessary exclusion of them to a certain degree, which is why when Foggy ultimately finds out about the secret identity, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, and actually that's a reverse, <laughs> reverse parallel. Yeah. Per perpendicular that I hadn't really thought of because... Matt doesn't become triumphant until he allows people in. Yes. Because we, we see in particularly the episode with Stick, 
it, it is not subtle. Stick <laughs> says, you got to get rid of these people. People around you, you can't be an effective warrior. Break their hearts if you have to, but get them out. Yeah. Whereas Fisk, when he allows somebody in, that's the end of him. Yeah. It's it it's a complete weakness. He becomes laser focused. Kingpin is Stick's warning writ large, but it doesn't apply to Murdoch. No, I it's they so many stories have embraced the idea of you become stronger once you get your Scooby gang and you have your family built in and that's that's who is there to support you and that's what makes you a better person. <laughs> right. Um, in Kingpin's case, he has gone through so much of his life being an island unto himself. Necessarily, he killed his father. His his mom went away so that questions would not be asked, and he could reinvent himself. I'm not sure I agree of the island in, well, unto himself. L- let me finish. <laughs> he... He has made connections, but he does not have a relationship with those connections other, before he meets Vanessa, beyond at the sheer business level. Yeah, you could make an argument about Wesley. But Wesley knows his place. Yeah, that that's true. That is not a relationship of equals. They may feel yeah. fondness for each other. Yeah, and Wesley, I think, certainly... I think they do. I think they feel fondness toward each other. But yeah, it's at cross purposes. Wesley will do anything to protect the boss. Right. And they're not going out drinking. Oh god, no. Yeah, they're um he he keeps to a strict routine. He wears the same clothing every day. He wears the cufflinks every day to remind him of of his father and and the the lesson to be warned thereof. <laughs> yeah. In in becoming like his father but also taking what he's learned from his father and applying it. You know, when, when someone's down, keep kicking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he certainly learned that one. He eats the same breakfast every morning. He adheres to a very strict and disciplined life. Yeah, and the minute he meets Vanessa, yeah. who picks out a lighter suit <laughs> and maybe different cufflinks, yeah, everything turns to shit. Yeah. Yeah, he is Stick's lesson, but Matt Murdock is not a regular person. No. But the difference being that from a young age, um, Fisk, in absence of a father figure, has not necessarily gone looking for a father figure. He's tried to just close himself off emotionally and do what shit he needs to do for himself, by himself, other than needed associates. Whereas... The more you talk, the more parallels I'm seeing because, yeah, Kingpin's father, Hell's Kitchen, blue-collar guy who lived by his fists in a different way. Yep. And everything went completely differently. Whereas Matt Murdock and Stick just fucking said it. You were looking for a father and I was was not going to be that guy. Yeah. You know, so Murdock his entire life has been looking to put his family back together in some capacity first would stick and then that didn't work out and then when he got to college foggy became this brother who who filled this void emotionally for him yeah definitely um so you know he he doesn't want to shut people out 
but when you have a secret it it puts a, a net it puts a, a rift whether you want it there or not into yeah. your relationship yeah no that's true and the primary difference is Murdoch lets people in and it strengthens him and it strengthens his relationships by the end by the end and yeah Kingpin is in prison with exactly one relationship yes so a bit not two there's a uh, there's Vanessa and there's goon number one who he almost beat to death <laughs> until <laughs> yeah. Wesley told him to stop yeah yeah he's still on board as long as the paycheck's clear I'd imagine right so that being said <laughs> yes um do do we want to talk about events of the story or do we want to turn our attention to other characters well let's stick with the characters for a minute because i feel like i'm picking up more just from listening to you talk about them um because my initial reaction to murdoch's character arc was it wasn't nearly as satisfying because there were certain things that we had to believe that I didn't necessarily buy into. Okay. Uh, one of them was the decision to try and kill the Kingpin going into their initial battle. They try like hell to make a big deal out of it. Stick tells him you might have to. Uh, he tells the priest later on and before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in confession over lattes. That's the only <laughs> way anybody should have confession. Irish lattes. But, you I have know. A confession, I don't like lattes. But there's, if there's coffee and booze in it, I don't give a fuck what it is. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. It was, go go on. But, but he constantly said, I made the decision to kill him, and I didn't buy into it. Um, and I don't know if I didn't buy into it because of Charlie Cox's performance or if the way it was written, it just... I didn't see any murder in that attack that he went when he went after Fisk for the first time. And part of it is as simple as this is not Batman. He does not have any aversion to firearms beyond he was trained in unarmed combat. If he went into this with the decision, I'm going to kill this man, why didn't he bring a gun or a knife? I would have believed it more if he pulled a gun or picked up a gun and had it taken away from him and it worked exactly the same way. It, it may have just been as simple as visually, I don't see anything different here from Daredevil attacking anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't buy the, the guilt leading into and following out of, I tried to kill him and it didn't happen. Are, are you referring to the, the scene where he and Kingpin fight after um, the ninja? tunes him up yes okay see for me i think he found himself in a position where he felt he had to attack wilson and and whatever was going to happen was going to happen it was not something he had prepared for necessarily he he was well I, he was hoping that wilson was going to be there he didn't realize he was going to find nobu right so had he not already been tuned up significantly by nobu <laughs> We don't know how that would have turned out because I think there there's a a necessary conflict that I thought was reasonably portrayed between I'm a vigilante and I recognize that this is what I'm doing is outside the scope of the law and I'm a lawyer so I'm supposed to want to uphold the law. How do I reconcile this? Also with I'm I'm a person who's trying to fight for justice 
And this guy has gamed, gamed the system, so if I try to bring him to justice, he'll probably slip, slip away, and that's not fair. I may have to kill him because that is the right thing to do versus I'm a Catholic and murder is morally wrong. Well, I think it was probably column B there. And by column B, I mean the law can't stop him, so I have to kill him. But I recognize it's morally wrong to do that. And it puts me on his side of the field if I see, do that. See, even then, because part of the problem I had with this Matt Murdock characterization was the most powerful character moment for me. And the moment where I kind of said, holy shit, this is kind of a different motivation. And it may have been bullshit that he was just saying in the moment, but it really rung through. And I think it probably did for you when he was interrogating, torturing, interrotorturing. <laughs> CIA, I own that term and all the subsidiary rights. But uh, the dude on the roof yes, in episode it, two. Yeah, in a very Batman moment. <laughs> yeah. And he flat out told the guy, I, I'm hurting you because I like it. Yes. And... And it, it's a moment that really hit hard and i'm well, not sure was that that's the other piece that is is a conflict for him because again let's go back to his dad wanted him to grow up not having to be violent not having to be him to to do to use his brain to get out of things and and to better himself and not to use his fists but matt on a on a level is his father's son and and that rage that drives someone to want to hit things is in Matt, as it was for his father. And accepting that peace, accepting that in all ways he is his father's son by the end <laughs> is what I think helps him come to the conclusion that it's it's not a bad thing to embrace all parts of you. But there's also a part of that, I think, that is driven by when he reconciles with Foggy helping him get to that. Yeah, and the more I think about it, I think you've got a point. <laughs> For me, that was a powerful moment because it really kind of went back to, it, it was probably very surfacely, on the surface powerful moment of, yeah, this is Frank Miller, Daredevil, and hard-boiled, and, you know, yeah, the kind of vigilante everybody wanted in the 80s, and, you know, he, yeah, he's doing it because he likes it, but it's weird. There are enough elements there of his starting there and trying to figure out how to take that part of himself and the lawyer part and his impulses and his friends and try and fit it all together. It is a, a pretty complete character arc. It's, yeah. I'm not sure what the problem that I had with it was. It may have been as simple as Kingpin's was so complete and obvious. And as we've established, I'm pretty stupid. Sometimes you really need to hit me over the head with stuff. Well, I think, I think the problem is, in some ways, figuratively and and quite literally um D'Onofrio's presence was so large in this movie um definitely was 
so and and so there was a bit more of a chronologically easy way to follow his arc and his ultimate um fate and and how the character ultimately developed whereas matt being so conflicted it was very start stop in terms of okay these are things that i'm doing before i let people into my life completely these are things I'm doing as I'm now in conflict with people because they've come into my life and they're not agreeing with my choices. These are, and here are things that I'm doing now that we've all sort of reconciled. And Matt's arc in terms of his um, embracing of violence begins really before the movie starts in, in the sequence that he talks to Foggy about after they leave the high-powered law firm where he decides to go out for the very first time as a vigilante and tune somebody up. Yeah. And that was that was a big thing for him. And that's the first time he's really giving into these impulses that his father sort of instilled in him um, genetically, not like on purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, you're saying he sprayed him with genetic rage? <laughs> <laughs> Yee, don't tell Marvel about that. There'll be a whole nother superhero out there. <laughs> Is that a title? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> genetic rage. Sprayed him with genetic rage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from there, to, to go from there to the moment on the rooftop, which happened earlier in the in the story, where he's saying out loud, probably for the first time, I'm doing this because I like it. And then wanting to take that back. God, this is why I love doing this show. Because half the time we talk about stuff, yeah, you point out stuff that I missed but or didn't see, think of. See how this is like, it's not in the right, it's chrono, it's chronologically right, but it happens out of sequence in the show. Yeah. That's where it's disjointed and makes it slightly less of a strong character arc. You, yeah. You have to go back and forth. Um, and no, then, you're right, but it is all there. Yeah. And then by the end... No, I know who I am and I know I don't have to kill you. I think he also comes to this realization that um, it it's true. He did very nearly die when he went up against Kingpin because he was conflicted, because he was of two minds, because he wasn't prepared, because he didn't think ahead that there could be somebody else in the building other than Fisk. Right. So he now realizes, you know what? You're right. I have to get my shit together. I have to get... Um, I have to get my own armor. You know, Claire has been telling me <laughs> I got to get armor. Then he goes up against Fisk. He realizes that Fisk has friggin' Kevlar built into those suits that he wears every day. And that's just a business suit. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, this is an aside and just straight back to pure geek. Man, wasn't, wasn't that cool? Yeah. But, but the uh, using Kingpin's tailor, Melvin Potter, <laughs> yeah. the, as the impetus for where he gets the suit and making it actually functional, uh, that was that was, that really, was a nice moment. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing that, you know, even Miller never thought about. You know, because Melvin Potter wound up being a tailor, and in Born Again, he provided a Daredevil costume to one of Kingpin's goons. That's right, that's right. So it makes total sense within comic continuity. But, yeah, I mean, he was also gladiator. He built armor. So mm -hmm. as an excuse beyond, you know, even in Miller's The Man Without Fear... You know, his attempt to year one up Daredevil, <laughs> uh, he had Matt saying, you know, oh, I sewed it myself. No, this is much better. Yeah. So I just thought that was, again, and stop full geek thing. I just thought that was a cool thing. So, yeah, the 
the arc is there. It's just it's not in such a straight line as as Kingpin's was. It's it's that piece by the end where he realizes he has to embrace um, his family to a certain degree. I'm a little disappointed that they didn't let Karen in on it because when she finally gets in on it, she, she's a whole nother thing we got to talk about, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, he realizes I have to, I have to reconcile with foggy and sort this out and it's never going to go back to the way it was, but we can move forward. You know, it's, right. <laughs> um, yeah, bring in Melvin and, and ask him to to build him some armor, get his head screwed on straight, go in with a plan and know that I'm doing this as a vigilante and not as a not as someone who kills. I he's not the punisher. Right. And that I'm also gonna work within the law to the best degree that I can as a vigilante. I wanna make sure that this one uncorrupt cop that I know of, I'm gonna get him there and I'm gonna <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna work him into this so that um, I know that ultimately these people that I'm catching are gonna find their way into the system, and not find their way out of the system because of their their external contacts. Yeah, <laughs> let me take a step back, and that step back is just purely to the delivery system. I love that Netflix made this available all at once. <laughs> but this is the downside of a binge viewing on a weekend when you are a heavy heavy drinker <laughs> the way that I am. Now I want to go back through it and maybe do a couple episodes at a time and fill it. Cause the reality is we watch this kind of on a deadline. We have to have watched all of this early enough to come up with some thoughts about it and do a show about it. Yeah. Now I want to go back and fully enjoy it. Cause now that the more we're talking, you pulled more out of this than I did. And it's, a, and I right. drank half a case of Chardonnay. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you're also much fucking smarter than I am. No, that's so, not true. Well, you went to a better school than I did. Eh. You're pulling all this shit out of, you know, Daredevil. You know, Daredevil was my character. I had all those Daredevil books when we first got together. Miller's Daredevil. Imagine know. what I could do with Dazzler. <laughs> you do whatever the fuck you want with Dazzler. You're an imbecile. Fucking Dazzler. <laughs> Don't bring Dazzler into this. Don't yuck my yum. Oh, God. <laughs> you just want to suck the joy out of everything. But getting back to Daredevil. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was talking about now. But uh, no, now I want to go back and, uh, yeah, watch it again, but, you know, uh, slower and drink more of it in. In addition to the beer. Well, yeah, I would still do that. But, yeah, okay. if we do a couple and then we switch to something stupid on the TiVo when I'm really drunk, eventually I'll get all of it. There you go. I have a plan, goddammit. You do. But all right, so do we want to talk about Karen Page? I think we should. Okay. Now, as as the longtime Daredevil aficionado, talk to our listening audience about Karen as she was in the comics. Well, when I say longtime aficionado, you know, I'm forty four years old. Most of the Daredevil I read started with Frank Miller. Okay. So there's years of Daredevil history. That you know, it's one of those things I keep meaning to get the you know Daredevil essential books mm-hmm. you know from from back in the day and just have not gotten to it. So yeah, most of what I know is from Miller's run, and a large part of Miller's run where she shows up really is in Born Again when she is a junkie and a porn star and sells Matt Murdock out to Kingpin. Mm. 
Um, and winds up regret- regretting that decision, and they wind up together and living together and working together after that until Kevin Smith shows up and decides... <laughs> Decides to fridge her. Yeah. Decides, you know, uh, you know, DG Chichester's had this terrible run on it. I can wander in and have Daredevil fight a Spider-Man villain and kill Karen Page because 90s, fuck it. <laughs> but so at least he didn't make him wet his pants. <laughs> That'll be season two, apparently. <laughs> apparently. But so yeah, the the character of Karen as Foggy and Matt's secretary basically because yes. this is back in the 60s and that's basically what she was yeah yeah i don't know a lot about that relationship when it comes down to, to this they have clearly laid out within the context of the show she's got a past yes uh, i forget what care it might have been yurik that she was talking to you know saying i've done things or i can't have them find out about something and flat out the conversation with Wesley before she ventilates him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're assuming I've never shot a man before. Yeah. She had a pretty good grouping on that, uh, on those shots. I think Now she's... that you mention it. So, <laughs> so I, I, I would, I would guess that depending on how many seasons this gets, we're going to get a born again story. Yeah. You know, where, Within the context here, maybe her past catches up with her and she feels she has no choice but to sell Matt out. And that comes back to, again, the idea of you've brought people into your life and you're you're trying to, to better your relationships, create your little family for yourself because um, sometimes you can't choose family, but you can choose your friends. <laughs> yeah. And she's clearly got a secret. And if you come into something with a secret that you choose not to divulge, then you're setting yourself up for something that will create a rift inevitably. And so now she's got, by the end of this story, and Matt can tell there's something wrong and she's able to explain it away, but he knows there's something wrong. Right. So she's come into it with whatever secret is in her past and has now killed Wesley. Yes. So what is going to happen for her and what what rabbit hole of booze or drugs is she going to send herself down as matt and foggy are repairing their relationship yeah there was there was that one moment where foggy made the joke about moving the narcotics and it almost (laughs) seemed like she's gonna say why you got some yeah (laughs) you holding bro (laughs) (laughs) give me all the oxy i'll cut you um yeah, I mean, the groundwork is there. What I would have liked to have seen if she really had this dark past that she was escaping. And it seems like it's there, but yeah. you could safely ignore that for a large part of what she did, mm-hmm. which meant her motivations for just tenaciously staying on, we have to get Fisk. You know, yeah, somebody tried to kill her, and that would probably piss me off. But if she's got this dark past, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't have minded seeing something where it was along the lines of, "I feel I have to overcome this and keep it unspoken. This mm-hmm. other thing that I've done that I feel I need to. This might be penance for this other thing that I've done, and that never really came across. So a lot of times it was just, you know, no, we have to do this. We have to save the old lady with the stitches in her face. 
and the holes in her wall. And it, it felt like she was almost naively saying, but we have to do the right thing. Even though maybe I killed a dude back in Arkansas or where the fuck she came from. There's, um, there's certain dangers in having, even with 13 hours to tell a story, um, a large-ish ensemble because some characters are going to get more attention than others. Yeah. And they focus pretty hard on the fact that she comes into this story as a murder suspect. Right. And moving forward from there as Fisk is unearthed as the big bad behind things. And it gives all of the characters a focus to deal with makes it very easy without her having to say in some sort of aside or th thought voiceover or whatever, you know what? We don't have to worry about people finding out about my past right now because everybody is so focused on, on Fisk and Kingpin. And, and so if we get to a point where the next season opens up and she's, a functioning alcoholic who's barely holding it together. <laughs> yeah. That will give them another place to go with a level of her character. They haven't had a chance if they choose to go there to unearth that. Which makes sense. And I can buy into that because it ultimately any dark past Karen page has really only matters within the context of born again. Yes. It should be something that she can't talk about until it, bites her and Murdoch in the ass. Right. So I can see what you're saying and I, I can see the justification of, okay, as long as I'm doing this, I don't have to think about this. They walk hand in hand in one of the final scenes of the finale into the building where they have freshly hung the Nelson and Murdoch sign, implying that perhaps they are taking their relationship to another level. So, and, and considering Foggy was trying to lay into her, that should cause some problems. Yes. Because, so, yeah, historically, that's that's what happens. They wind up together. Right. So you've got two people trying to to have a relationship with one another, both with huge secrets they're not willing to tell each other. That'll end well. Yeah. And... In the best of intentions, but you know they're not going to until it becomes a problem that is insurmountable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it will. Yeah. If we go to Born, if we, yeah, if we go to Born Again, it will. Yeah. And, and again, the added tension of Foggy clearly wanted her. She's not going there. <laughs> yeah. Now Matt's going to yet again score because that was the pattern in college. Yep. You know, and, and, <laughs> They're trying to work past the difficulties they've had in their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> There's season two. <laughs> All right. Good point. All right. We're talking about Foggy. Yes. <laughs> what would you, what'd you think of Foggy? You know, I I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it's such a it's such an easy character to kind of overlook. Yeah. He, he's, you know, always there in the background. He's willing to, to be the voice of reason when Murdoch is going to do something questionable. But he's generally a, a quietish presence. <laughs> well, quietish when it comes to 
plot and characterization. Yes. yes. He was historically sort of bumbling. Yeah. You know, oh, Matt's the real genius. I'm happy to be here, and he's my buddy, and let's right. go get a Yoo-Hoo. And... Yes. Um, and, again, not to draw un, uh, unfortunate comparisons between this series and the movie, John Favreau tried. <laughs> oh, he tried, and within the context of what you can do in a couple hours, I think he was fine. Yeah. But this was a, a level of, you know, the, the way that he just openly accepted Matt when they met in college and he came into his life and how they bonded as, as brothers to a certain degree and, and grew together and became, he, he becomes Matt's conscience when, when Matt's conflicted foggy, knows what should be happening and and has no problem telling him why he's wrong yeah and it it worked it it, it just worked <laughs> the the chemistry i i hate the word bromance i hate it <laughs> you should and you should feel bad for using it but the chemistry between those two in this show was just palpable as as friends and and when foggy finds out that matt is is the vigilante the man in the mask how hurt he is all of these things that he thought he knew about this guy who he loves yeah are now all in question are you even blind eh, kind of <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and the, the scene that nailed that home for me was the scene while they were interns at the big law firm and Murdoch just clearly had such a distaste for defending a corporation that was throwing its weight around. And he basically all but unilaterally said, no, I don't think we should do this. And foggy initially was, they are going to hire us. We're going to have money. We're going to be partners. And then we can change everything from inside because, yeah, this place sucks, but we can work with this. And we're, it's a dream job. And I don't think we should do it. And within five minutes, like, okay, man, all right, I trust you. And this is the other thing that we're going to do. Yep. Yeah, That's a huge leap of faith that comes from, yeah, he flat out loves the guy. And to find out you've been lying to my fucking face since the moment I met you. Yeah. That was the scene that hammered home the characterization. I don't know the name of the actor who played Foggy. I yeah, looked I it up and forgot to write it down. But yeah, that that was the scene that made it all real. The kid, the, the acting was just fine for it. And yeah, those guys had a great chemistry. But that scene set it up and really made. Oh yeah, Matt really betrayed Foggy. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was really well done. I mean, his overall role, let's face reality, uh, you know, this is by Drew Goddard. He was the showrunner on it. He's <laughs> he's out of Buffy. He's the Xander of the operation. Yeah, he he's Xander, <laughs> which is fine. Everybody loves Xander. But uh, yeah, there was also some some real heart behind it. The the biggest problem I had with the foggy characterization was he graduated cum laude, <laughs> which for this for this version of the character, you kind of have to, but Come on. You don't get a college nickname foggy because you're home studying. 
It's because you've got you got an eighteen inch fucking glass bomb you're filling up the room with. Yeah. Yeah. Well <laughs> But you know, he also beyond the not even beyond the Xander, in the Xander role, he's the everyman. He's right. us. Of anybody in this. He's the one, oh shit, this is a thing that's happening to me and how do I deal with it? And yeah, he's Absolutely, yeah. and I think he was really good at it. And you know, they set up with him just early on. He has a bullshit detector, so you have to be really good <laughs> in order to avoid that. Oh yeah, um, where he, where he stalks Karen because he thinks she's lying to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, particularly after the big night at Josie's. Yeah, That's, <laughs> all right. He's not a stoner, but he's a fun-loving drunk. He is. You want me, want me to do the clip about Josie's bar? Sure. Okay. This is when we were watching the scene. Uh, this is the audio from when Amanda and I were watching the scene with oh, Foggy and Karen in Josie's bar. He is. For larceny and distribution. He's turning it around. We're this close to getting his kids into St. Agnes daycare. St. Agnes. That's so glass half full, Foggy. Who's that guy? That's Stick. He's a ninja. Who's that guy? That's Filthy Manny. <laughs> Don't shake hands. <laughs> Stick's gonna kill Filthy Manny because Stick's a ninja. <laughs> Welcome to Josie's. Ninjas everywhere. Ninjas drink free. <laughs> they sort of do by default. They do. <laughs> and actually, that was one side thing uh, yep. that I was gonna bring up later, but it's probably a good time for it. The amount of booze that gets consumed during this series. It's true. People wandering around just pulling off bottles of scotch and yeah. Foggy's got his eel whiskey that he drank at Josie's. There was that moment where where a young Matt Murdock, age nine, is handed a bottle of scotch by yeah. by his dad. I forgot about that. <laughs> and I'm walking I'm looking at that going, Dad? <laughs> But it, w- it was interesting to me because Shane Black, who directed Iron Man 3, had gone on record saying, you know, look, our original thing was we were going to do Demon in a Bottle. But Marvel and Disney said, yeah, it's a non-starter to have one of our heroes be an alcoholic because right. it might be a bad influence on kids. Well, Daredevil is not an alcoholic. We didn't see him. We didn't see him imbibe that much. He had the occasional morning beer. But... <laughs> If you're having a morning beer, <laughs> it's probably followed by an eleven Z's beer, followed by a lunch beer, followed yeah. by <laughs> yeah, that's Jim Morrison territory. That's somebody who has d- made a decision. Oh, second breakfast beer. <laughs> but it was it was refreshing in that it's like all right, they're going to treat us like adults. Yeah. Well, this is the first Marvel television series that was TVMA. Um, Shield and Agent Carter were not. I don't right. know, don't know what their designations were, but so this actually gives me hope for down the line, you know, what we might see out of an AKA Jessica Jones out of out of the Luke Cage series. Well, I mean, they're all supposed to tie together, right? You know, ultimately, from everything I've read, the plan is, I don't know if it's after. Well, it's supposed to all lead up to a Defenders thing, right? But all right, so I so maybe this is a good time to talk about um, Ben Yurick. <laughs> yep. In a notable departure, a couple notable departures, Wesley 
is supposed to be a constant through Kingpin's life. He got ventilated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. So he is not going to be a constant. Ooh. Um, Actually, Wesley, I don't think ever appeared before Born Again. Oh, okay. But he's just so. been around since then. I think so, yeah. But I think, so yeah, he, he's kind of a latish appearance. But I don't mean to derail you. Go ahead. Ben Urich is in the comics a constant for our street level characters for the marvel for those that were formerly known as the marvel knights characters right. he's he's in he's in the spider-man stories he's in electra he's in daredevil he's in punisher he he is the voice of the man on the ground trying to let the world know what's happening and being truthful in the face of the j jonah jamesons and their ilk in the world i mean jesus all the frontline series yes. like world war hulk frontline yep. and secret invasion frontline and yeah he's been everywhere and they killed him <laughs> they killed him before the end of the season <laughs> which was shocking yet exciting yeah because it, it it was definitely a shot across the bow to comic book fans that uh, this is not a major character but he's not a minor character either yeah and we'll just take him right the fuck out we might make changes here. We're going to make changes here. We just made one. You don't right. know necessarily what you're going to see. So I I really enjoyed um the character characterization of Yurik in this in this series. He's he's the old-time reporter. He knows his beat like the back of his hand. He could trace it in the dark. He knows perhaps even literally where the bodies are buried. Yeah. <laughs> and he's willing to show up where corrupt cops are to keep an eye on the situation so that he can be the voice of truth on the ground. Yeah, which is consistent with what we've already what we've always seen in the comics. Yeah. The one thing that was not consistent was well, there's a consistency in that in the comics he Loved his wife unconditionally, but he also again. I keep going back to Born Again just because so much of Daredevil, yeah, you know, was not born there. But if you'll forgive the pun, <laughs> which I didn't mean, I'm on my second beer. But <laughs> so much of, of what is modern Daredevil sort of arrived there, converged there. You know, yeah, Yurik was incorruptible up to a point. He was cowed into silence uh, when he saw a police sergeant beaten in front of him. He had his own fingers broken. Yes. But then once he got his balls back and said, nope, I'm going to report the story and I'm going to go talk to the police, he leaves his wife home alone mm -hmm. for Kingpin's people to go and try and murder. Right, right. Whereas in the show, really his primary motivation is my wife is ill and I have to take care of her. And I really thought... And I guess I'm pleasantly surprised they didn't go this route. When uh, when Karen and Foggy are trying to make the case to to Matt that now Ben's one of the good guys and, and we can trust him, I really thought they might take the route in the story of having the kingpin suss out that Yurik's wife was in need of assistance financially because of her health and see how that plays out as a story point. Actually, I kind of would have liked to have seen that. But they didn't go there, and I was I was a little surprised because it seemed maybe it was just too obvious, and they decided not to go there. Maybe there was so much else going on with the story that that was something that was considered and discarded. 
but I was a little surprised. Well, considering when, by the time King, the way they used to have Kingpin find out Yurik was even involved, I can see that conversation happening in the writer's room. Oh, maybe he shows up to do this and somebody's saying, no, this is Wilson Fisk. If you fuck with his mother, he will kill you. That's all he's going to do. Well, before, but, you know, even before they got to that point where Karen and Ben go to see mom, when they make the point of, you know, Yurik was the one that broke the Union Allied story. The fact that his his minions hadn't gone and background checked Yurik and figured out some way going forward to take him off the table as a player. Yeah, to get the arm on him. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would have been interesting to see. Yeah. But so uh, how the little the little bits and pieces though that they put in from the beginning that led up to what ultimately seemed to be suicide by Kingpin so that his yeah. wife would be provided for. Yeah, that was really interesting. and heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that was the one thing. He he stood by his principles as a reporter and lost his gig. And and then, yeah, almost set himself up. Okay, he's he's got to kill me because this is the only way I can take care of my wife. Yeah. And, and she says at the funeral when Karen apologizes for having put Yurik in Kingpin's sights by taking him to see his mom. She she goes out of her way to say, no, Ben Yurik would never follow a story that he didn't want to. He's n- never been made to do a thing he didn't want to do. You didn't get him killed. And I'll be fine. He took out a, a big policy so I'd be looked after when he was pursuing that, that river water story, whatever that was. We don't know what that was. Right. So it's like, oh, geez. He, he may have been planning this from the beginning of the show. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that well, far. Well, or at the, I, at the very least, in the back of his mind, there was a plan C. <laughs> I would not be surprised if that became the plan the minute he didn't get the extension. Because yeah. now, correct me if the if I have my understanding of the events wrong. Because again, I was drunk, but he doesn't get the extension on keeping his wife in the hospital. Then he goes to his editor about getting the story published without corroboration. It sounds right. Then he gets himself fired yeah. by screaming, you're in the kingpin's pocket. Yeah. And screaming, thinking there's somebody in the kingpin's pocket in the bullpen in the newsroom. I'm going to write this anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, there's enough there. You can almost see him saying, okay, I've shot my wad with this. Now I got <laughs> I got to get taken out. Yeah, or at the very least, I need to play this out, and if I get taken out, that's okay, because my wife is, is going to be provided for. Yeah. And yeah, with, with the final reveal that it was not his editor that who, it was, he, who he accused of being in the kingpin's pocket, it was yeah, just, yeah. Some random person in the bullpen, or a receptionist or something. Yeah, so yeah, to me, that kind of points home, Yurik's clearly smarter than I am. Because I missed all this shit while we were watching the show. But, yeah, that's kind of points to, okay, I need to get myself killed. I'm going to do that. Right. God, there was a lot of interesting shit in here. There was. There was. We we can, it's still there. We can go back and watch it again. Well, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> and I probably will. And I made this remark while we were watching it. It's like, I know I have access to this for as long as Netflix is around. 
I'm buying this on Blu-ray just in case Netflix get gets bought by somebody or loses a deal with Marvel or whatever. I, I liked it that much. <laughs> yeah. Bought out by Union Allied. Yeah. Now, one thing everybody talks about, how are we doing on time? Uh, minute, uh, no, hour 10. Okay. Um, one thing everybody's talking about with this that I just want to address is the level of violence in yes. the show. Yep. Now, what did you think about the violence and how it was staged and... It was, it was brutal, um, but it worked for the show. It, I appreciated the lack of obvious wire foo for the most part. I think we got, it's not I think, we, we got to the point of wire foo we did later on. Later on, but initially it really felt like, nope, we're just going to do straight up hand-to-hand choreographed well, right. but viscerally, brutally. And and as it was edited edited together, put together in a way where there was a lack of obvious dramatic music. So and I and I know that there's a clip of me drunkenly trying to yammer about like why this is important, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in in a Batman movie, um, where say Tim Burton is dealing with things, you know, there's the street level fighting that immediately is interrupted with a Danny Elfman, you know, musical bit to impress upon the viewer the drama of the situation. Yeah. Do you want me to just play that clip? Sure. Okay. So yeah, this is this is well into the drinking where uh Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna be slightly coherent in this clip. I'm gonna be completely incoherent, so, but you know, here it is. Fuck it. Yeah, that isn't how this works. I don't care. <laughs> And I didn't. He is a better Batman than, than fucking Batman. Christian Bale was. Yeah. Yeah, I sound completely sober here. Because he's doing it without, like, stupid voice shit. Well, it's, you know what? It's not even that. We rarely, in all the Batman movies, all six of them, seven of them. Yeah. And Although these days I completely renounce, uh, while sober, uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Yeah, I was surprised that you included those. Well, I was drunk and feeling charitable. Okay. Best, you saw him fight street-level crime for two minutes yeah. at the beginning, and then supervillain. Yeah. You know, here, yes, we know the Kingpin is the supervillain, but he's working his way up. It's old-school Batman detective shit with extreme violence. Also... A lot of, I mean, they're, they're bringing in sort of a base thing here. A lot of it is street level shit without benefit of like Elfman dramatic score. So, like, if you think about it, like, you know, Keaton jumps in. I'm so not coherent there, but uh, yeah, yeah. Listen to drunk me talk about things. Okay. My, yeah. My... <laughs> I'm Batman. Yeah. That was just like, I'm going to tune you up until you tell me shit. Yeah. No, 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 no. Start talking. I'll break your groin. Yeah. But where I was going with that is they, they wanted to emphasize the brutality of it, the, the, the spectacularly violent nature of what Matt's doing rather than, oh, this is dramatic. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that they didn't use some sort of voice alter kind of mechanism for when he's in daredevil mode um you see that a lot you see that in the batman movies you see that on on arrow on flash on Flash, yeah <laughs> and and i i get why they would do that but <laughs> 
it, it does kind of drag you out of it as a viewer, I think, or at least does me. It does. It's one of those decisions that they make that, yeah, if <laughs> if you know the real person, like, in, it's one of the things I liked in the Green Lantern movie. Yeah. If you know the person, that's, they're going to, they know your eyes. Yeah. They're, they're going to know who you are. And this was, I used the word earlier in the show, gutsy stuff. They They were willing to show just how violent it is to be a street-level vigilante as portrayed in these comic books. It's not like on the Arrow where things are slick and pretty and well-lit and, and, and cool tech. Right. Um, it's, you're bloody at the end of it. You're bruised. You might die if you don't have somebody in your circle who knows how to stitch. <laughs> yeah, and it's people don't attack you one at a time. Right. And when you punch somebody, they don't fall down. Right. You have to beat them into unconsciousness. And sometimes you encounter an old man with a taser, and, and things don't go your way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think particularly in the first couple episodes, they really kept wire foo and too much stylized stuff. You know, there, there were some flips and twists but yeah. it didn't look like anything that required you know wires or special effects i think after that they started to bring it in right i don't think they ever got to a point where it was completely exaggerated but i was okay with it because i thought okay for the first couple of episodes this looks really real and violent you've set the stakes now uh, okay let's action it up a little bit make it more interesting to watch mm -hmm. once you've set what this world is really like i was okay with that yeah and, and they they brought that somewhat more stylized fighting in as they incorporated more characters who might have that as a background stick uh nobu yeah and and it showed that matt did also have training in those areas and he only really brought that training to bear if he encountered a character who also had that training Otherwise, he tended to keep his fighting style um, consistent with whoever it was he was fighting. Right. Which is where it made it very interesting by the end. Again, as as he is assimilating all the various portions of um, what he is embracing about himself together. When he goes up against Kingpin at the end, then he brings it all together. Then he's willing to engage in more of this quick martial fighting style rather than just using brutal boxer force against kingpin because if you do that against the kingpin you're gonna lose yeah but at the very end of it he's just beating his head against the ground oh yeah um there was a moment though in the fight and you knew that murdoch was gonna win well you hoped he was gonna win um <laughs> the show wasn't sure. called the show wasn't called kingpin you but knew murdoch been, was I, gonna I watch win. that <laughs> I'd watch a Kingpin show. Um, there was a moment where where Fisk has Matt up in the air and drops him to the ground, and I really thought that there was going to be this Bane-like moment where he was going to break his back. <laughs> yeah. No, I can absolutely see what you're saying. They, I, I don't want to say they were riffing on that, but you'd have to kind of be stupid not to use that visual language and not think that yeah. you know, a comic book fan watching this show wouldn't pick up on that reference. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think the final fight between him and Kingpin brought all of those pieces together. So we were more likely to see some wire foo. 
in that context, whereas before it was it was a slow ramp up and and did it w- where it was appropriate, right? But still not to excess. Yeah, no, almost none of it looked wildly unrealistic. Not a lot of like you know crouching tiger, hidden dragon, flying around shit. Not a lot of Jackie Chan stuff. Well, I mean, was... the, the thing I kept thinking of was Watchmen. Yeah, you know that scene where Rorschach is breaking into Doctor Manhattan's lab and he's jumping two stories in the air and you know nothing like that. You know the way Rorschach moved in Watchmen, that was superhero movie shit. Yeah, it, this never reached that level. It reached the level of a uh, person might not be able to do that. Or even in in like Buffy, as it progressed over the various seasons, she went from just a punch karate kind of thing to like season six I'm like when did you have time to learn capoeira like what are you doing <laughs> i don't even know what that means yeah google it later it's it's a it's a brazilian <laughs> fighting style that's dance like and it it's it's highly stylized and there's no reason for buffy to be doing that other than somebody was doing like Tybo at the gym or something and then oh, decided Jesus. to go to the next level with ooh, you know what would be a cool thing that we could do for the yoga students <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all i need to know i'm not googling shit <laughs> which which really uh, is not being fair to something that is is a very old um martial arts form but it became a thing that was in vogue here in the united states briefly <laughs> and then went away again like jujitsu is now okay but so, yeah, I mean, on the whole, it was a really, really entertaining experience to watch it. I did have some problems with it. Yeah. The biggest the biggest one I could think of just as a superhero geek, where the fuck were the Avengers? Now I get this is a street-level show. IMDb that- said, I'm sorry, because it just jarred me. IMDb, I believe, said that this is supposed to take place after the events of Age of Ultron. And I don't buy it. We certainly got references to the Battle of New York with the Chitari from the right. first Avengers. I think somebody would have mentioned, wow, and do you also remember when all the killer robots fucked us up? I think they had to walk a fine line because they couldn't give any spoilers for Ultron. But at the same time... This came out after all... This came out after the final trailer. We know killer robots attack New York. I know, but I, I think that... Even mentioning them in the course of the script would have been too much of a distraction <laughs> in some ways. Um, the, if it is after the events of Age of Ultron, there may very well be a reason why the Avengers are not handy and why we have a, a rise in these street-level characters that will lead to the formation of the Defenders. It's possible, I will say, flat out, there is no indication in this show it takes place after Age of Ultron. I, I don't disagree. I'm just going by the, the one thing I read drunkenly on IMDb. Okay. I, I don't buy it. IMDb is, <laughs> in its own way, IMDb is like Wikipedia. Yeah. Except movie industry people can write whatever the fuck they want That's in there true. if they pay for it. That's true. So, and, and I, I get that we shouldn't see Thor hanging out at, scruffy duffy's getting wings imagine the impressive figure he would cut at josie's though he certainly certainly would but but at the same time the kingpin blows up like an entire block of fucking buildings 
and there's snipers shooting cops while this is all going on. Iron Man can't suit up for the destruction a few blocks over. What also makes me wonder, and again, we know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is somewhat splintered at this point, potentially, um, especially if it is unlike what IMDb says before Age of Ultron, but after, um, after the events of the Avengers. Right. You would wonder why someone like Kingpin, who seems to have this influence on senators and a reach into the FBI, apparently, by the end of the of the series. He's got at least one agent for him. How is this person not on Nick Fury's radar? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, they make a big point of, oh, he's shadowy and he doesn't want to come into the light and blah, blah, blah. The second, if, if, if that's all it was, if somehow he was that good... The second he stepped into the light as some sort of amazing philanthropist who nobody has heard of before, that ought to flag something somewhere. You would think. But I'm willing to take on faith that this takes place right around, say, now, going back a month or two. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's no indication that this takes place anytime except it's sort of now, after the Battle of New York, before Age of Ultron. Which would mean, you know, particularly if it takes place over the last year. Yeah. Give it that long. That means, yeah, Nick Fury is in hiding. He's gone. S.H.I.E.L.D. is splintered. What's left is directly fighting HYDRA. And they've got better things to do than who at face value just looks like a millionaire shadowy philanthropist. Yeah. Who makes his money, you know, that's, that's not a S.H.I.E.L.D. problem. That's a DEA problem. True. That's an SEC problem. Yeah. Yep. So I'm willing to take that on faith. But uh, all I kept thinking was, again, to go back to Born Again, when Nuke shoots up Hell's Kitchen, the Avengers show up. <laughs> and that's a dude with a gun and a rocket launcher. I'd, I like to believe, again, at least Iron Man would say, huh, looks like Midtown's on fire. Shit, I get really good running shoes there. I better go help put it out. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. I... And I wonder if they will address that more in the next series. Well, all right. Which brings the next question. What do you want to see next? Assume this gets a few seasons. I... And I I don't know what the criteria is, criteria are, for Netflix to say, yep, give me more. That's a good question. I mean, they've had series that have been renewed before um I, house of cards comes to mind although i've not watched that yet that's up into like season three now i yeah i mean this this is weird this is the first netflix original i've burned through right we watched one of them hemlock grove yeah what a pile of shit you still owe me for making me watch that fucking thing <laughs> well you shouldn't have fallen asleep on the couch and left me alone with the remote <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> And then when you said, I watched the first two of these, let's keep watching it, I smiled, <laughs> drank my beer, and that's fine. But um, I, This is the first thing we've binge-watched. Yeah. Let's put it that I way. would imagine that they, it's, it's probably got some sort of algorithm about the, the number of, of people who have downloaded or streamed or whatever, and, and overall, like the total number of of streams it's, from it's probably a combination of number of people watched versus number of new subscriptions to see new things yeah yeah that's okay yeah so i think based on that they probably are going to get another day in court <laughs> well yeah for a, a big marvel thing that's gotten 
good reviews as this generally has. Yeah. You know, hopefully. But uh, all right, assume it gets a few. Assume it gets one new season. What do you want to see next, or what do you think you're going to see next? Because I personally, I think it's Electra next time. I would imagine it would. I, you have to start bringing in, yeah, an Electra or a Bullseye. You don't necessarily have to go to Electra yet. If our theory holds that they're going to spend some time exploring Karen and Matt's relationship, I think to complicate it by doing a classic love triangle that early, especially if they also have to sort out the the Foggy and Matt fallout from him dating Karen. See, that's a that's a lot of soap opera shit. Yeah, but it might be the perfect the perfect time to do it because they mentioned the Greek girl who is clearly Electra. Oh yeah, in absolutely. The, the college flashbacks. So enough groundwork has been laid that they can just bring her in. But if it follows the Electra storyline from Miller's books, then, yeah, have her get killed in episode 11 or 12. And then Karen is there to help pick up the pieces. I think it could totally work. It it could. Um, I guess I'm... A little bit more interested, at least initially, in a second series where, okay, he's won over the hearts and minds to a certain degree of of Hell's Kitchen and, and New York City as a whole. What's like, life like now in terms of developing his working relationship with the police and with the legal system? I don't know. 13 episodes of no, I'm learning for, to work with the cops. No, not for the whole, <laughs> not for the whole series, but like initially, like what does that look like? And continuing to develop the characters. So how, how is the relationship between Matt and Foggy progressing? How has, if there is a relationship with Karen, that complicated things? Yeah, but you could totally do that within the scope of an Electra hand story. Because, yeah, you just go straight into, yeah, okay, Daredevil in the interim between seasons has been learning to work with the police. And early on, we see some of that relationship. And then we see how it goes when he shows up and says, you don't understand, there's an unkillable ninja. And I <laughs> tried to cut his head off. And there's a dead guy. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I'm hesitant to fully commit to wanting that, even though they ha they did lay seeds of it. Yeah. With, with Stick talking to shadowy figure who he has to report to. Who you thought was Stone? I'm pretty sure it's Stone. Um, so who, we've we've got the chase. The chase. However, I guess I just I feel like Karen got a little bit short shrift versus the other characters. I want to have them spend some more time building her up, give us some more hints about that past. But you could totally do that. Electra comes back, and Matt is attracted to her and Karen has to deal with that plus foggy it almost puts her right at the center as long as we're not losing focus from from characters i i just want more more character development for Karen and as you every time you add a new character you've got to spend the time building that character and if it's if it's electra and bullseye and presumably Wilson's in prison. What's Vanessa doing? There's just a lot of directions. I saw a theory online that the sniper who shot the cops was, was Bullseye. Bullseye. Oh, that would be awesome. And somebody had a screen grab of in his kit bag. Yeah. There was an ace of spades on the outside. Ooh. All right. See if you can track so down that screen grab. We already may have seen Bullseye. We may have. All right. Yeah. You got to track down that screen grab. I'll see if I can find it. Okay. But yeah. I, that's it. Yeah, all right. This is an aside. Um, 
clearly we enjoyed the show and we spent this show dissecting it there i was impressed online there's already sites that are devoted to they put up transcripts of the show so if you want to go back and look at what is basically the script for these episodes somebody this weekend was already online uploading that shit yeah, it's a, you sent me the link to the 13th episode because yeah. it was some piece of dialogue I forgot. The river water. We wanted to figure out what it was that um, Mrs. Yerick was saying about right. that policy. Yeah, so remind me, uh, I'll try to remember to put up a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. So if you don't have access to Netflix, eh, you can read the scripts. <laughs> yeah, as exciting as that sounds. I don't, I don't know exactly how accurate the, the transcription um, was is. I'm, I'm guessing fairly, fairly so. But yeah, if you if you want to read these, you can go back and and take a look at them. They include stuff like the stage directions and the sound cues. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was not bad to see, and it was a pretty good resource for researching what we're going to talk about on this yeah. show. But yeah, I'll try to remember to put up a link in the show notes. But one last thing that I want to talk about as I'm watching, yeah, again when when you and I first met, which is like 15 years ago, I was yeah. huge into Daredevil. And and still have been. I, I've read it all through you know, Bendis and Brubaker up until Wade. But yeah, it was Miller's Daredevil that got me excited about the character. Mm -hmm. And I've got the Marvel Omnibus and yeah, Daredevil Man Without Fear and Born Again. So I think I have all the entire Miller run. And as I'm watching this show, I'm thinking, God, I love the character when Miller had his hands on him. And I thought about the latest issue of mark wade's daredevil where he's wearing a red business suit <laughs> and flipping around in san francisco as far away from hell's kitchen as you could get and it was really the first time since wade has been writing it because i've really enjoyed wade's run but it's like no nah, this is not this no this is not what i want it's a very different it's a very different daredevil and and there's reasons for it he had to he had to move out to the west coast because it was finally just impossible for him to convince the world that he wasn't Matt Murdock and Daredevil at the same time. Right. Um so it was a fresh start as it were. Um and he's still out like people know that he's Murdock, right? Oh yeah, that's why he was wearing the red business right, right. suit. The implication was I'm no longer going to wear this costume. Everybody knows who I am. I might as well just embrace it. Yeah. Which is fine. It makes sense within the scope of Mark Wade's run. But again, Miller's Miller's Daredevil comes from the same place Miller's Batman does. It's it's this whole it comes from the eighties where we we wanted culturally to see a superhero beat the shit out of people. It, this is not about <laughs> Superman and truth, justice in the American way. This is the underside of that, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, this is what if these people were real. Yeah, in this piece of shit world, and and you know, people getting their heads handed to them because you know there was a level of no justice is an eye for an eye, and and here's how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, and stories and characters have they went to like the ex I uh, god I was about to say the extreme um, don't bring Rob Liefeld into this goddamn damn that's you. what happened in the 90s they took it to just this this level of ridiculous cartoon level with that 
and then in the early 2000s started to walk it back and focus on more nuanced characters and and those characters lives and and that's what's that's where a lot of the storytelling has gone now and that's where you have a much different kind of daredevil than you would have had in the 80s with Miller sure so I mean, yeah, in terms of this series, I don't know how long. I don't we don't know if it's going to be renewed. Um it's it looks hopeful. Yeah, I I don't know. Um but do you see that kind of evolution over time? I mean, if if you're locking horns with someone like Kingpin who could ultimately f- use the vast resources at his disposal to get you outed, then what? Well, then born again. Right. Yeah. But you know, that's and that's where you get to Wade's Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I like what Mark Wade has done with it. I've I've read it the whole way through. It's not perfect, but neither was Miller's run. Yeah. I mean, the example I can think of was what they did in the show to poison Vanessa and right. try to kill her. In Miller's run, it was one of Kingpin's compatriots at the end of a superhero battle shot a mortar at the skeletal building she was held in. Yeah. Which knocked her into the sewer where she was picked up by Morlocks <laughs> or something like Morlocks, yeah, yeah. some underground kingdom where Daredevil had to go underground and do battle with the king and a giant crocodile <laughs> in order to rescue her and use that leverage with Kingpin that I have Vanessa apparently tied up in his apartment or something. Right. In order for Kingpin to turn on Senator Cherry. Yes. And have him step down. Right. So I suppose the point being just because Miller wrote it doesn't mean it was gritty and hard boiled and realistic or even necessarily good. Um, but, well, so the changes between the TV show and comic are, are fine. Yeah. I, there, there are moments in this story where they either homaged or or lifted <laughs> um things from other stories there's that moment that that moment there that we were just talking about where Vanessa's poisoned uh there was a very similar scene in Arrow like 2 weeks ago Mark right. Hamill as the trickster and his son did a very similar yeah. poisoning thing with champagne yeah exactly <laughs> the the difference is in Arrow everybody looked at the bottom of their glass to see what the number was right. and, and at the very least uh, Owsley just said, ooh, this is poison, and dropped it. Well, yeah, but he also was the one that put the poison in the damn thing. Well, He uh, wasn't going to fuck around with it. Good point, but at least somebody did the obvious thing. Yeah. Um, and we also noted in the moment where um, the police are, are dealing with their, air quotes, hostage situation, and... Uh, Vladimir and Murdoch and the rookie cop are trapped in the building. It, it felt very much like Batman Year One, right? In terms of the police force has him surrounded. There's nowhere to go. What is he going to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was the, the that was the Merkel attack. Yeah, yeah. Without without utterly blowing up the building, but basically right. the same thing. Yeah, we we made the joke again. We were drinking. <laughs> oh no, is he going to bring a a thousand CGI little devils to bear on yeah, the cops exactly. outside? How is he going to get out of this? <laughs> but, um, so I I think that they're adapting this show 
to the needs of, of a an audience that is in you know 2015 there's just enough there, there's a quite a, a bunch of stuff that's mined from the miller stuff yeah with just enough stuff out of current story, storytelling vogue to to temper it and bring it into the modern age right but i think for people our age it makes us kind of long for and want to go back and read those stories well yeah i, I said more than once while we were watching the show at some point this week that miller omnibus is going on the coffee table and i'm going back through it and i and i think that there's in current storytelling certainly a, a tendency in a in a lot of cases to go back to people make that joke grim gritty dark <laughs> yeah it's it's not like that's gone away if anything in, in a lot of stories it's it's amped itself up but i i think there are enough storytellers out there who are still trying to keep things progressing and moving and not just focused on on heavy dark heavy dark and violent no absolutely i've really enjoyed what wade has done with the character now with that said what wade has done with the character stacks just as as much on top of miller as bendis or brew baker or anybody else yeah without those stories what wade is doing is nothing but a continuation of the character in the 60s and 70s right it carries more weight because it's murdoch supposedly making a conscious decision to move away from the type of person he was at the end of miller's run he is but he's also operating in in a san francisco where he's trying to set himself up to to be the model of what one should be if one has powers in contrast to Stark's superior Iron Man, who is abusing his power. Which absolutely works with what's going on right this second. Yeah. The ugly reality is there is every indication that there is now a hit TV show based on Miller's Miller's Daredevil. Daredevil. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. And Mark Wade is leaving that title sometime this year. I'm not ah, sure exactly when. Now we get to, okay, so, so what happens next for that Daredevil? Yeah, now there, there's a couple ways it can go, you know, and if you want to get cynical about it, there was a run back when Ann Nascenti, it was like five issues when Ann Nascenti and John Romita Jr. were doing it in the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. where Daredevil flat out meets Mephisto. <laughs> so if you want to go full one more day about it. I think the reality is, you know, Secret Wars is next month. Yes. I think when this is all said and done, we're going to have a more classic Daredevil come out of that. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, it'll be curious to see how they how they would choose to go there. Yeah, because the re- <laughs> Wade's run has been critically acclaimed enough and good enough. I, I wouldn't want to see him just say... And Secret Wars, and now we're done. And we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. I'd like to see a resolution. That would be disappointing. Yeah. But it's the perfect opportunity for them to just say, duh, if they want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. But yeah, it's it, that's kind of the ugly truth. As much as I understand and respect and believe in what Wade did with, yeah, the character's been this way for a very long time. Uh, this made me want Miller's Daredevil again. Now, the problem with that is Miller ain't writing Daredevil again. 
Miller's not really writing much more than his name. After and, Holy Terror, I'm not sure he can even well, write I'm gonna that. Well, I'm going to say, and you, you beat me to that point. We're not sure if his hand can stop shaking long enough to... <laughs> now, those are whatever you might be saying that about are all rumors. We don't know, Frank. <laughs> I don't want to get into a, an actionable situation here based on rumors we've heard. I can't stop my hand from shaking long enough to, to click YouTube to see if he can't stop his hand from shaking long enough. Quit smiling, you idiot. You're supposed to be a professional. <laughs> Those convention panels that have been taped for posterity. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, the, the truth is, look, it comes back to all those old stories are on the shelf. Yes. I'll be rereading almost the entirety of Miller's Daredevil run sometime in the next week. This made me nostalgic for that kind of Daredevil, but that Daredevil still exists on the shelf. Exactly. So I can't imagine Marvel having this show on Netflix and not putting them back in the suit and back in Hell's Kitchen and back in more of a pulpy, noirish type of storyline. But Yeah, and, and I think what we'll see ultimately with some of this is a, a situation where they, they won't call them Marvel Knights anymore. They haven't for some time. But right. um, you'll have your Electra back. You'll have your Punisher back. You'll have um, your Luke Cage and it'll be back on a, on that street level place um, in in a really exciting place where I think they can draw on those characters for other purposes in the movie movie universe right. where we've had the crossovers already from the movie universe into the ABC series. Yeah. So we will probably see a similar evolution in the in the comic book devolution i I don't know secret wars is coming who knows (laughs) indeed all right so i suppose ultimately what are we an hour and 45 minutes in jesus christ yeah uh good show should watch yes (laughs) many likes go see (laughs) all right want to talk about a couple comics yes all right what do you want to start with oh you know what Let's start with Convergence since we're talking about Secret Wars. Yes, so DC's Convergence officially started this week. We talked about Convergence Zero as sort of an entry point last week. We are now fully into it. So just pick the one that in a lot of ways I like best uh, from this week. It's uh, Convergence Nightwing and Oracle number one. Yep. uh, Written by Gail Simone, art by Jan Dursema. I'm sure I fucked that up. Sorry. Eh. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, every book this week is based in pre Flashpoint, post crisis Gotham City. Yes. So, we're uh, there under the dome. Uh, people are beginning to lose their shit mm-hmm. and just sort of totally give up uh, to the point Mr. Freeze doesn't put up a fight when Nightwing confronts him during a diamond robbery. And uh, Oracle is mentally shutting down, too. Yep. Dick Grayson's fine. He's handling it fine to the point he's ready to finally ask Oracle to marry him. Yep. And then some alternate version of Hawkman and Hawkwoman attack. Uh, they offer to let Gotham survive because what's happening here is these cities champions have to fight and destroy each other to see who lives. So this version of Hawkman and Hawkwoman say, fine, we will let Gotham survive as long as you let us rule it. Uh, and Nightwing 
being a dick after all. <laughs> I'm so fucking sorry I said that. Yeah, but... yeah, that, you said that. Anyway, uh, Nightwing tells him, uh, yeah, go pound it. And uh, before he goes off to fight him, Oracle uh, tells Dick that she can't fight him. But turns out she might not entirely be telling the truth. Now, when we talk about writers and the classic characters that that made you love them as a writer. <laughs> right. Um, that is definitely something that can be argued for, for Gail Simone and Oracle. And, and she also does excellent work with um, Dick Grayson and that relationship between Oracle and Grayson. Right. So it was, it was like coming home in some ways reading this. It's like, ah, comfy sweater. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I had forgotten how much I missed the versions of these characters from before the new 52 reboot. Yes. I mean, not just these characters Two a one. I really liked all the convergence books this week. They all took place in pre flashpoint Gotham. Yep. Not all of the books were great. Some of none of them were high art. I mean, even this one. Yeah. But I was, we, I don't think those of us that are reading these stories aren't looking for high art. We're, we're looking for, Oh, I remember this. Yeah, it's uh, for a week it felt like I had the DC comics that I really liked so much from 86 to 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the problem with it is that reinforced how ultimately goddamn disappointing most of the fucking new 52 has been. Yeah. I don't know, there's part of it that wants to make the argument like or or are we just so entrenched in what we want that we don't like how things progress and change? It, which, it's possible. Yeah, I try to keep an open mind, but we just spent 10 minutes talking about, I miss Miller Daredevil. Well, Miller ain't writing Daredevil anymore. and But even that's different because I like what Mark Wade did with Daredevil. Right. I liked what Bendis did with Daredevil. You know, different directions and new writers doesn't have to be a disappointing or a bad thing. Right. And, and not everything in the new 52, I think was disappointing or bad. No, I'm just, if you take where the DC universe is as a whole, more of it, I like less than I did as it has played out. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and we've talked about that before, just, yeah. Things that had potential that just went to waste. Things that came back wrong. <laughs> yeah. A couple things came back you wrong. Want, you want to look at like, uh, Princess Coriander. You came back wrong. <laughs> Hawk and Dove. Hawk, Hawk and Dove. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, or even the Hawkman story. Um, <laughs> Show samples. So, yeah, this was... This was an entertaining read. It was it was nice to see the characters again, and you got frustrated all over again. It's like, ah, oh, Barbara, why are you being a bitch? Just let him marry you. You're finally getting what you want. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Well, it's just, you know, I, I often don't really give a shit about romantic storylines, but this is something that they never got to see through because of Flashpoint. <laughs> Yeah, but even that's not fair. They could have seen it through at any point from the but Batman they never family would have, books in the 70s. They never would have because it, it, would, it would be like going full moonlighting. <laughs> True. and So here it is again, and it's just like, oh, it's finally going to happen. They're under a dome. Just let it happen. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, 
you've got a point and maybe it would have taken this insulated kind of story to reach that sort of storyline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they could have done it at any point in forever. The reality is Dan DiDio has been in charge over there for 15 years. Yes. And has said, oh, superheroes can't be married. He's basically one of the guys who said superheroes can't yep, be married. I, I know. I know. So I shouldn't be surprised. Right. The refreshing thing to me was this was a Barbara Gordon who was a fucking grown-up. Yes. Now, I've got no particular love or dislike for Oracle. I think it was a really clever way to keep Barbara Gordon vital Viable. Yeah. after the killing joke. But it, it's not a case of, you know, yay, Oracle, or boo. It's a, okay, I, I understand that, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I can get behind it. Yeah. But, and, and we've discussed that I am not the target audience for the current run of Batgirl. Nor am I. But it was nice to see a Batgirl behaving as an adult. Yes. Again. <laughs> Granted, it's only been six months since yes. the last time she did. No, absolutely. But it, it hammered home. It, yeah, no, it's not the character I don't like. It's just this kind of characterization of that character. And it was nice to see Nightwing again. Being yeah. Nightwing, not being brooding and not having to be Batman. And Yeah, but you know and what? And as much as I enjoy the, the Grayson comic book and what they're doing with that, <laughs> it, it, there is just a level of fun when Dick Grayson gets to be Nightwing. And and I think that um, Gail Simone really captured that by the way that his story is told to a certain degree through Barbara's eyes. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that he's joyless. I would argue he's not joyless in the Grayson book. No, but there's a spark he has when he's Nightwing, when he's his own fully realized character um or, or hero stepping out from under batman oh yeah well even when he was batman i think that was there and i do think there's a certain amount of that missing but you know that's to, it's to be expected he's under deep cover with eyes on him at all the time oh, absolutely but, and, I, and i think well it wasn't necessarily gone when he was batman there's a, a a weight and a level of responsibility when you assume the mantle of Batman that doesn't allow you to necessarily be that acrobatic guy who who's just having fun diving off of roof, rooftops. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, you raise points that I had not necessarily thought of because I, I literally thought during this, it's like, eh, the characterization is not that different from Grayson except... He doesn't have to worry about being killed if he's figured if somebody figures out who he is. He's not constantly under surveillance. Yeah, but you raise a good point. Um, the one thing I'll say is that even though I've never been, you know, again, I can take Oracle or Lever. Part of the reason I wanted to review this book that moment at the end, mm. where despite all her, oh, I've. I'm falling apart because of this and I can't marry you because we're under the dome and I'm just not adapting well and where it's revealed. Oh, I've, I've been fighting them for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that was really cool. I really like the ending to this book. Yeah, no, it was, it was very cool. And I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes next. Yeah. Story wise. That was the best moment in any of the convergence books by far this week. Yes. So 
does this start to snap her out of it? One wonders. <laughs> yeah, I imagine yeah, the original purpose of Convergence was to bring some of these older characters back for a last two-issue hurrah. Yep. It was supposed to be self-contained, to and out. So I imagine we'll see. They're going to defeat the Thanagarians. Yeah. The book is called Nightwing and Oracle, not... The Thanagarians. Not... Dick fucking Hawkman and castrating <laughs> Hawkwoman, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I imagine we'll we'll see her accepting. That's also not called Get Carter Hall. <laughs> <laughs> you can write that one down. <laughs> write down the other one too. Except Jerk Hawkman instead of Dick Hawkman. We want to get it through <laughs> iTunes, but that's one thing. You know, as much as I like post-crisis DC, pre-Flashpoint DC, I'm okay with being forever done with warrior douchebag Thanagarians. Yeah. I really am. It was kind of refreshing right after Crisis because it sort of gave a more modern sci-fi origin to Hawkman and Hawkwoman. Yeah, and there were some great stories utilizing those kind of dick, dick-fucking hawk people. Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, Grant Morrison... In Animal Man, yep. uh, during his uh, invasion crossover, uh, and Alan Moore, Alan fucking Moore in Swamp Thing, where Swamp Thing's on Ran, mm -hmm. and Adam Strange has to basically kill a Thanagarian with a living water fountain. I think I remember that, yeah. Yeah. But those were 30 fucking years ago, right after Crisis, and some of the best writers in comics. Reading about fucking warrior dildos, is it's tiring. <laughs> There's nothing redeeming about them. They're they're Nazis with wings. Yes. Um, yeah, we can let them go. I'm fine with it now. But like anything else, if you're bringing back certain elements, the to to reexamine for a couple of issues, and then and then we all move on with our lives. This was a this was a character trope in DC's past, so they are worthy of examination just as much as a classic Barbara Gordon or Dick Grayson. I, yeah, look, you've got a point. And it is, at least on paper, supposed to be a last hurrah, although I enjoyed all of these enough. I'm really kind of hoping DC takes the soft reboot thing and brings some elements. Yeah. I liked the steampunk Guy Gardner and Blue Beetle that we oh, saw right for front. like two seconds at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool. Like all-star Western versions yeah. of... Yeah, see, I, I'd like to see that, but All Star Watching got fucking canceled. Right, right. Oh well. <laughs> but, but no, this was my favorite of all the fla of Flashpoint of all the Convergence books this week. Yeah, and and I really I liked all of them on one level or another. And that's good. And it's the first time it's been a week of DC Comics where yeah, everyone I got yeah, there was something there that I really enjoyed. So. So far, Convergence is working for me. That's good. But it's DC, and next week is another week. This is true. This so. is true. All right. All right. So, speaking of, of stories that progress but don't necessarily change. Yes. The Walking Dead, number 140. Life and death. I got a bad feeling about this. Written by Robert Kirkman, art by Charlie Adlard, as usual. <laughs> and villained by Negan. Fucking Negan. Yeah, so... This book, uh, Michonne is still a loner. Mm -hmm. Maggie's still trying to figure out how to deal with Gregory and his treachery. And 
pussy whimpering that he was framed. We're 140 issues in, and Carl still won't stay in the fucking house. Yeah, but at least he's learning chasing after the first girl you score with. Not necessarily a good plan. Nope. Uh, and I am ready to choke out a fictional character for being seemingly unable to operate a simple fucking key. <laughs> All right. So I thought about this today. Um, during the Crises Award show that we did at the end of the year. Yes. Uh, I gave The Walking Dead my nomination for whatever the fuck we were calling Best Improved Comic. Yes. Because we were coming out of like 18 issues of dealing with fucking Negan. Yep. Through All Out War and Killing Glenn and like a year and a half worth of books. And I was like, okay, this is most of, I think it's improved because we moved on from it. Okay. Since All Out War, it's been 14 fucking issues of this current storyline. Mm-hmm. There is no goddamn conclusion in sight. Mm-mm. And Negan is out again. Yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> this book is not most improved, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And it's an interesting point. I, I couldn't help but think about the finale of the television version this year. Where the presence of, of Rick and company in civilized Alexandria settlement <laughs> yeah. um, brings with it the problem of if you have, does it take, it, actually it's, it's not even that. It goes back to Mark Twain and, and this came up in say Huck Finn. Do you need civilization to make you civilized? What does it mean to be civilized? In in the story's conclusion on the television show this season, Rick kills whatever his name was, um, the abusive uh, husband. Porch Dick. Porch Dick. <laughs> Apologies to Chris Hardwick. Yeah, sorry. Um, but it fits. At, at the request of, of Deanna, who has been firmly in the camp of we don't kill, we exile which is all well and good until her husband was killed. And then it was, she's screaming for blood, just like, you know, the most primitive of, of non-evolved individuals, I guess. Shoot them. Shoot them both. And this is as Morgan, who has, has made a firm statement in favor of life at all costs. Right. Comes upon them and witnesses this. Yep. So in this series of The Walking Dead, Rick has been firmly in the camp of we don't kill. We set an example. Negan is bad as he was. We don't kill. Right. In Rick's absence, how quickly Maggie, under stress, turns to, nope, we got to kill this guy, Gregory, who tried to take me out. He's a threat. Right. Um, so... I wonder, yeah, we see Negan who's about to like walk out and be a threat again. Wouldn't it be interesting <laughs> if Rick comes back and, and Maggie has sorted this by killing Gregory and Negan and it just happens quick and then they have to account to that for Rick? See, I don't, I think there's going to be a reckoning between Maggie and Rick because realistically, yeah, if he comes back tomorrow, He's coming back to a hilltop where his son has run off. Negan's wandering around. Maggie has potentially executed somebody. There could be some interesting tension there. Yes. And that's 
one of the few things I'm holding out hope for at this point. Because, look, I don't know if Kirkman has been spoiled. And I mean that in, like, every sense of the word. Yeah. You know, pampered and or ruined by by working in a writer's room that tries to get a storyline that fits into 22 episodes. Yes. But the pace is killing this fucking book. Yeah. Now, look, in this issue, we've got Rick talking to Michonne, Maggie talks to Gregory, Maggie then talks to Jesus, then Carl talks to Lydia, then Maggie talks to Claudette. It's not the walking dead so much as the shuffling dead. Yeah, it's... Did it, this makes Brian Michael Bendis look like a hyper nine-year-old who sold his Adderall for like a bag of fucking brown sugar. Jesus. The pace is killing this fucking book. 14 months of this shit. Yeah. And we've met the Whisperers and Negan sort of wanders out of his fucking cage. Yep. And Carl's run away. We've never seen that. <laughs> 14 issues for this? The, the, the pacing is goddamn death. I really am this close to dropping the monthly and, and getting just getting the, the trades. trades. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Cause I've been getting the weekly book, the weekly, the monthly book since issue seven. No. And, and I don't, I don't disagree just because it, it's taking so long to go anywhere. It's almost m more worthwhile to get the trades. You can just see the resolution of the arc because the resolution of the arc doesn't even necessarily bring any closure. It's just like, okay, <laughs> Now, now we've re reached another story beat, well, and, and I'm waiting for the next graphic novel. <laughs> that's a sad thing. Back in the day, yes, you had the greater overall serialized story, but individual story arcs fit within those six-issue trades. Right. And that doesn't even fucking happen anymore. No, no. I mean, there's things I have questions about, but I'm. it's hard to stay invested when it takes so long to go anywhere. You know, Carl is following this girl who who let him touch her. <laughs> um, we all did. I mean, not but, touch Carl. That's weird. Yeah, but that's, we all followed the first girl. Yeah, you do that. You don't get to go near a school or anything. Um, <laughs> but he he's with someone who's who's questionable mentally. And this is a kid who, in some of his earliest iteration was willing to shoot another kid and kill him because the adults weren't willing to. Right. So what is he doing? Like, <laughs> where'd that kid go? <laughs> that kid never got his dick wet. <laughs> I mean, th that's the reality. That's one thing Kirkman's got dead down. Oh, somebody fucked me. I must love her. Where's she going? Yeah. We all fucking did it. I got news for you. Ain't none of us any smarter than anybody else. You're, you're lucky. You're not walking around with an extra brain who doesn't, has shit for brains, but <laughs> so I mean, I can buy that, but but you know, I just I don't at this point. I would hope that as much as Carl might be excited that a, that a girl let him do her, um, he he would understand that there's still dangers out there that y you gotta put that aside. <laughs> well, based on what we saw in this issue, I, I like to believe he's smart enough to realize, okay, um, maybe I could have gotten some. Maybe I could have gotten my second piece of ass right there at the hilltop. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just the the pacing is just dragging me out of this. I'm I'm really at the point. Yeah, I can utterly foresee tension between 
Maggie and Rick when he comes back for all the reasons I listed. Yeah. Is that going to turn into another all-out war? Christ, I hope not. I already fucking saw it. The, the one thing I've got some hope for is that they let Negan go on purpose for some reason. I mean, the timing is perfect. Okay, here's your bath and your haircut so you look like Negan. You're not a long-haired filth monger with boils in your armpits. <laughs> you know, I don't, maybe Maggie arranged it so that she could consolidate her leadership, you know, showing that she could deal with Negan and there are bigger threats. I don't know. Because otherwise, I have to believe that after 14 months of, ooh, there's this threat in the basement, his great escape is because some dipshit can't operate a fucking lock. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, I've lost track of who some of these characters are, so I don't even know who this girl was that couldn't figure out how to put a key in a lock. I think it was Olivia. Okay, what's an Olivia? Uh, she's been around for a while. She wasn't one of Negan's original followers, which was what I originally thought. Because, yeah, also her look has changed because she was a heavier character to start with. Yeah. I think the name's Olivia, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the other tricky part. And we've talked about this before. When you got a black and white book, yeah. characters can sort of run together. So... And but the thing is, Maggie's I don't know unless Maggie had given them orders and and then just let them do this. Maggie's not around for this bathing scene with Negan. It's it's under Andrea's watch. Yeah, and Andrea being with Rick certainly. So I, I don't think it's Andrea's orders. Yeah. So yeah, Olivia may have done it, but even then, uh, I suppose she could have done it on purpose and said, oh. Because the thing that held me is like, oh, no, do I have it? Oh, I think I got it. She can always say, oh, shit, I think I had it, but. Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, otherwise we've spent 14 months with almost nothing happening, and this guy finally gets out by accident. And that's the other problem. I fucking hate Negan. Yeah. I can't. And if I can't deal with it. <laughs> He was not a particularly multi-dimensional character when we spent 18 months fighting him all the way through all-out war. Right. You know, and if the best Kirkman has is to go back to this well, that I may just have to move to the trades. I think that's valid. He's got to pick up the pace on this. It has to move fucking faster. This is going to be the second 18-month arc in a fucking row. Yeah. And you're, it's, you're not wrong. It's just It is not fast enough to read on a month-to-month -month basis. It just isn't. So, I feel better. Okay. I feel purged. I feel naked and clean for having screamed into a microphone. And on that mental image. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I can't recommend this issue. You know, if, if, if you've been hoping for the great escape of Negan, eh, he nudges the door and it opens. <laughs> it is so anticlimactic. It really is. Yeah. So... All right. We got anything else? Nah, I think that covers it. How are we doing on time? Oh, 209. Holy shit. All right. Let's wrap this shit up. All right. So thank you for listening. I'm not sure how you found this show, but no matter what, you can always find us at our home website, which is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. We are. Uh, you can find the link to our Facebook page through our home site. Yep. Uh, we don't do a ton of stuff there, but we do get messages through there if you want to shoot us a message. 
We're on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. Yep. We are on Twitter. At Infinite Midlife. Thank you for not making me jump through hoops this time. That's okay. Uh, we are on iTunes. If you found this show through there, do us a favor, shoot us a review, give us a rating. Helps people find the show, and we like hearing from listeners. We do. We get a kick out of it. We're on TuneIn Radio, if you happen to find your podcast there. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. We are on Gmail, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Yep, if you want to shoot us an email. And uh, I miss anything? I think that's it. All right, I think that is it. So this has been episode 63. 63. 63 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening, and uh, derp. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> Just the tip. Touch dicks. I'll be following you to make sure you get to the precinct alive. Try to run. Try to do anything other than what I just told you. Oh, there we go. Right on the rug. Oh, the rug. Oh, buddy. Thank you. That was a mighty chunder. That <laughs> was. Good work. Right on the rug. Nice. I think I have carpet cleaner somewhere. Little budge. You made food. <sighs> I thought I thought you brought a fountain over here, buddy. <laughs> Don't eat that. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> no, 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 get out of there. I think we got that on tape, buddy. <laughs> Arguably one of the most dramatic scenes. Just <laughs> chummed it all over it. <laughs>